who asked the question, what part of your church can only be explained as a result of the work of the Holy Spirit? Which is an excellent question, I thought. And I've spent some time thinking on it. The author made several things that weren't necessarily evidence of the Holy Spirit at work. Attendance isn't necessarily a sign of the Holy Spirit at work. I mean, football stadiums will be filled and pro sporting events will be filled and yet that's not the work of the Holy Spirit. Giving is not necessarily a sign of the Holy Spirit at work. People will spend thousands of dollars at movies this year and millions of dollars at movies this year and that's not the Holy Spirit at work. Oh, dismiss the children to children's church. <laughs> William's like, stop it. I'm talking. i got to go. It's okay. I once had to listen to one of my own sermons and I felt deeply sorry for you people. So what is a, the sign? I mean, there are lots of things we could say. But I think as we look at Scripture, one main sign, one main thing proves the Holy Spirit is at work in a church. And that is lives changed through the power of the gospel. Without the Holy Spirit at work, no souls are ever saved. Without the Holy Spirit at work, no lives are ever changed. Without the Holy Spirit at work, no prodigals are ever restored. No broken hearts are ever healed. No blind eyes are ever opened. No nothing happens that is eternally significant without the moving and the power of the Holy Spirit. This morning we're going to look in Ephesians 1 and we're going to see how the Holy Spirit is actually the Spirit of Redemption. Open your Bible to Ephesians 1, um, page 895 in your pew Bibles. When you find that, I'm going to ask you to stand to honor the reading of God's Word. Now, our, our text is going to be verses 13 and 14. But I'm going to read, so I'm going to start in Ephesians 1, 1 and read through because the passage all kind of goes together. It says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints which are at Ephesus and to the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace be to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings and heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us accepted in the Beloved, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace, wherein He hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of His will, according to His good pleasure, which He hath purposed in Himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times He might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in Him, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of Him who worketh all things after the counsel of His own will, that we should be the praise of His glory who first trusted in Christ. And then these are our, our texts for today. In whom ye also trusted, 
After that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance, until the redemption of the purchased possession, and to the praise of His glory. The title of the message this morning is The Spirit of Redemption. Let's pray. Our Father, we love you today. You are great and awesome, and you are worthy of our praise and worthy of our devotion. We thank you for this time that we have this morning to gather here to sing your praise, to study your word, and just to be together as your people. Lord, as we're here today, let us lay aside any cares of life that we may have brought in, and let us surrender this time just to you. Just to you, God, that we would have ears to hear and we would have hearts to obey. That, Lord, this time would be yours so that you could use it to, to focus us, to change us, to save us if we need it, O oh God. O oh Lord, work in this time today and, and let your word be living and active in our life. Let your Holy Spirit come and let him convict us where we need convicting and let him challenge us where we need challenging and let him change us where we need changing and let him encourage us where we need encouraging fill me today holy spirit give me clarity of thought and clarity of speech and guide me to speak god's word clearly and accurately and not to be a hindrance in any way to what god wants done father have your way in all things we ask in the mighty name of christ our savior amen you may be seated. At this first part of Ephesians 1, the reason I read the whole section, even though we've broken it up over the weeks, is because this passage basically teaches us what each person in the Trinity, what part they play in our redemption. Right? In eternity past, God the Father planned our redemption. Every part of our salvation begins with God. It was His idea to execute this plan. Second, we saw that it was God the Son that purchased our redemption. Jesus came to earth. He died on the cross. And He made it and He rose from the dead so that we could have our sins forgiven. And then finally, today we see how the Holy Spirit applies the work of Christ and the plan of the Father into our lives. Now, the work of the Spirit is unique among the Trinity. Right, because God the Father's plan was done at a definite and a specific time in eternity past. In the same way, Jesus, at a specific time in the past, He, he died on the cross for our sins and He rose again on the third day. And that was at a definite point, never to be repeated. But the Holy Spirit's work is different in that it is not a once-for-all event that the Holy Spirit works. The Holy Spirit is consistently working to bring about the redemption of those for whom Christ died. The Holy Spirit works to bring us to faith in Jesus, and then the Holy Spirit works to make us like Jesus. And it is an ongoing work that, that is forever going on in this world. And so what we see in this passage is that the Spirit of God reveals the Son of God to make us the children of God. The Spirit of God reveals the Son of God to make us the children of God. In this passage, it shows us two broad ways in which the Holy Spirit works to accomplish this purpose. The first is that the Holy Spirit calls and converts. 
Now it starts in verse 13 with in whom, pointing back to Jesus. We're brought back to the, the, the truth, the essential truth that everything about redemption rises and falls on Jesus. Right? Jesus is central to everything. Everything, everything. If we had time, we would look at all of the passages that show this. But we don't. But Jesus is central. Now notice in verse 14, In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after that, ye believed. Right Now there are two essential elements that must be present for a person to be redeemed. The first is the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. So the gospel must be presented. There must be a, an explanation of the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ before someone can be saved. Now, that's what it says in verse 7. That's what verse 7 was really all about. In whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. That, that's the first element of the gospel message is that Jesus died for our sins. And when we talk about Jesus dying for our sins, it is critical that we understand that this was the plan. Right? Jesus' death, His rejection and death wasn't a surprise. It wasn't plan B. That was plan A. Jesus, Peter says, was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Jesus came and died as a sacrifice. He, he wasn't a martyr for the cause. He didn't make the wrong people angry. Jesus' life was for the purpose of His death. And that was always God's plan, and the death of Jesus will always be God's plan. There will never be another path of redemption outside of Jesus Christ. But not only did Jesus die, but Jesus rose from the dead. Literally, physically, bodily, rose from the dead. He walked out of the tomb, never to die again. The resurrection of Jesus is just as crucial to the gospel as the death of Jesus. In fact, the death of Jesus would have no meaning whatsoever if it was not for His resurrection. The Romans killed thousands of Jews in the time that they occupied Judea. If Jesus had not risen from the dead, never to die again, He would just be one of a nameless, faceless number. That, was, that died at the hands of the Roman. But he rose from the dead. Now these two points make up the essential elements of the gospel message. But there is a condition to the gospel message bringing salvation. In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. In whom also, after that ye believed. Right, The condition for salvation is faith. You hear the gospel and then you believe in the Jesus that the gospel testifies about. Redemption comes after we have believed. Now the word is essential to it. right? Because he says here, the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. He'll write in Romans that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So the word must be present, but then... There must be a belief by those who are doing the hearing. Now the idea of the word, the word of truth, faith come by hearing, 
is the reason we must be in the Word. It's the reason we emphasize the preaching and the teaching of God's Word at our church. Now, in all of this, you may be wondering, okay, that's fine. That's what the Gospel is, and the Word must be present. Where's the Holy Spirit at that you're saying the Holy Spirit calls us and converts us? Where is this work at? Well, the reality is, the Holy Spirit has been working all throughout this process. Right now, the Holy Spirit works in lots of ways. We don't have time to cover them all. I'm going to primarily focus on how the Holy Spirit works in those who hear the gospel. We won't talk about the Holy Spirit empowering the one proclaiming the gospel. The focus here is on what the Holy Spirit does in those who hear. And the Holy Spirit has to work in the heart and the life of the hearer of the gospel before there can be faith. Because Scripture says that if our gospel is hid, it is hid to them that are lost and whom the God of this world hath blinded. The minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. The scripture teaches here that the gospel is hidden to some people. And it's hidden to them because their minds have been blinded by Satan. And as such, they are lost and they do not understand the gospel. Now that doesn't mean that they can't explain the gospel. But that doesn't mean that they can't tell you that Jesus died on the cross and that He rose from the dead. Instead, what it means is that they do not understand the significance of the gospel. But they do not see that the gospel is for them. It's a message and it's what the Bible may say, but they can't understand why it should matter to them. What do they think about the gospel? Well, Scripture tells us that we preach Christ crucified. That's the gospel. Unto the Jews, a stumbling block, and to the Greeks, foolishness. Now, some people hear the gospel and they are offended by it. The concepts of sin and condemnation, guilt, judgment, and accountability to an all-powerful God are offensive to them. They're offended that anyone would dare say their sins are as serious As anyone else's. They're offended. That you would say that there is an absolute standard. That all people will be held to. They're offended. That you would say that there is a day of judgment. And accountability coming. In which all people will stand. Before the holy God of the Bible. And give an account for their lives. They're offended. At the thought that their sins. Are as serious as everyone else's sins. They're offended that they cannot save themselves. They're offended at the idea that they will go to hell apart from faith in Jesus Christ. And the very idea that the horror of what happened to Jesus on the cross demonstrates the severity of their sins infuriates them to the very core of their being. Those are offended And it's a stumbling block. Others hear the gospel and conclude it's foolishness. The very idea that God, I mean, even if there is a God, would take on human flesh and die in such an awful, humiliating way for the sins of humanity and then come back to life in three days is utter nonsense. And they wonder, how on earth 
could any rational, intelligent human believe such drivel? And that is all of humanity by nature. They are blinded to the gospel and they are either offended by it or they think that it is foolish. So the gospel is irrelevant to their lives, they conclude. I don't need it. If it makes you happy, more power to you. I don't need that sort of nonsense. I don't need that sort of guilt. I'm happy with myself the way that I am. Now here's the million dollar question. What makes someone stop seeing the gospel as offensive or foolish and start seeing it as the only hope they have for redemption? It is the Holy Spirit. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. When the gospel is proclaimed, God the Holy Spirit takes the message and causes the light to shine into the darkness. And reveal to the person that the gospel is not foolish and it is not offensive. Instead, it is the power of God for their salvation. Now, only God, the Holy Spirit, can do this. You and I, we cannot. We can plead with people to believe the gospel, but that won't make the light shine. We can threaten people to believe the gospel as in the Crusades, but that won't make people believe the gospel. We can mock people in hopes that we'll humiliate them into believing, but that really doesn't make them believe the gospel. Without the Holy Spirit at work in the heart and the mind of the hearer, their minds will stay darkened and they will never understand the significance of the gospel. But once the Holy Spirit reveals to them the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, and He shines that light into their dark minds, they have to make a decision. A choice must be made. Will they believe in the Jesus the gospel testifies about, or will they reject the Jesus the gospel testifies about? The Word of God and the Spirit of God always, write this down, Always bring us to a place where we have to make a decision about the Son of God. We will either receive Jesus or we will reject Jesus. We will believe Jesus or we will not believe Jesus. There is no middle ground. There are those who believe and are redeemed and there are those who reject and are damned. All people stand in one of those two positions. There is no middle ground. One or the other. Which again is one of the reasons the gospel is offensive in our day. It is just that clear. But either way, we do make a decision. We choose in that moment to go to Jesus or to reject Him. Now, when a person believes, they, they follow the Spirit's leading to Jesus. They are redeemed and they are born again. And this being born again, it is also a work of the Holy Spirit. But our salvation, our redemption is not by works of righteousness which we have done. But that's a huge concept. 
There is no good deeds that you can do to earn your salvation. There are no good deeds that you can do to maintain your salvation. There are no good deeds that you can do to add to your salvation, to complete your salvation. All of it, all of salvation from beginning to end is according to His mercy. It is the mercy and the grace and the goodness of God. And then we become a new creation as the Holy Spirit washes us and regenerates us and renews us. That is all a work of the Holy Spirit to make us into an entirely new person. We're not the same anymore. And then He continually works in us. He continually changes us. He continually sanctifies us and makes us more and more like Jesus. The Holy Spirit calls us to Jesus through the Gospel. And when we respond in faith, He converts us. That is the first part of the Spirit of God working to make us the children of God. The second part is the Holy Spirit seals and secures After we have believed the gospel of our salvation and have been born again, the Bible says the Holy Spirit seals us. In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after that ye believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Now, in the Greek and Roman world, the wax seal would have some sort of an identifying mark stamped into it. And there were several purposes for the the seal and for the mark, but for our purpose today, it was to identify ownership. The seal was unique to the person who made the seal, who made the stamp in the wax. And when someone looked at it, they could say, that seal belongs to that family. In a similar way, the Holy Spirit is a seal, the identifying mark that testifies we have been redeemed by God. The Spirit of God upon our life is the the stamp identifying us as the children of God. The Holy Spirit's seal in our lives is like a certificate of authenticity proving that we have genuinely been born again to prove the reality of our redemption. Scripture says that ye are not in the flesh but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is... None of His. Someone does not have the Holy Spirit in their lives. They are not saved. No matter what. And if someone does have the Holy Spirit in their lives, then they are saved. No matter what. And this matters for a variety of reasons. Not the least of which is to give us confidence of our salvation. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. One of the the complications of salvation by grace through faith in Jesus is that we don't get a, a seal, a certificate that we can hold in our hand. You know, we don't pray and receive Christ and then a letter float down from heaven saying, Welcome to the family, you've been born again. Right? There's no identifying mark that visibly appears on our skin that we can look and say, oh yeah, look, I'm saved. There's an S on my heart. None of that happens. So how do we ever have certainty? 
How can I know for sure that I'm saved and not live in the I hope so? Boy, it would be great. My, I would really like to be saved. How can I know that I know that I know? The Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirits that we are the children of God. There is just a work of the Spirit as we seek God, we seek the Word, we seek Jesus. The Holy Spirit begins to, to scream into our minds and to scream into our hearts. You are saved. You have been born again. You belong to Almighty God. Listen, if you don't have that security today where you know that you're saved, my friend, you don't have to live that way. Living in that uncertainty is misery. It is not the abundant life that Jesus purchased for us on the cross. It is not the love, joy, and peace that the Holy Spirit brings. We are not meant to live in uncertainty. We are not meant to live in that kind of misery. You can know. Not you hope you're saved, you think you're saved. Golly, it'll be great that you find out you're saved. But you can know. Not in arrogance, not in pride, just in certainty that comes from the Word of God and the Spirit of God that you have been redeemed. If you don't have that today, you should seek God until you receive it. Now we see in the last of verse 14, or the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of promise, and He is the earnest of our inheritance in the first of verse 14. Evelyn, have you ever dealt with any earnest? A little bit? If you ever bought a house, you've put down earnest money, probably. It's a down payment to guarantee the fulfillment of the purchase. That's what the Holy Spirit is. He is a down payment given to us by God guaranteeing that He will follow through with His redemption and He will do all that He has said He would do. Until the redemption of the purchased possession. The idea is until Jesus returns or until He takes us home to be with Him. The work that God began in us when we believed on Jesus, it will continue Till the day we go home to be with Jesus. Listen, that is that's good news. We can be certain of it. Confident in this very thing that He which began a good work in you will perform it. You say, Well, what if I what if I stray into sin? Well, when you stray into sin and you're a child of God, Hebrews chapter twelve says there's there's discipline that comes into our life, that the Holy Spirit will chastise us. Why, when a believer, when we drift into sin, why does it make us miserable? Why can we not have joy in that? Why, when all the lights go out and it's us and our time, do we fear and are miserable and hate that time? Because God is saying, you're mine. I've made you for better than this. I'll not leave you like this. Listen, if you can live in sin, in constant rebellion against God, and there is no conviction... There is no chastisement. Scripture gives us an answer as to why that is. And the answer is not that you have got a special deal with God. The answer is not that there is a loophole. The answer is that you have never been saved. Hebrews 12 would tell us that you are an illegitimate child and not truly an adopted child of God. Just as when you go to Walmart, you don't beat unruly children who aren't yours. God does not discipline those who do not belong to Him through faith in Jesus. 
you can live in sin with no chastisement, no conviction, it is for one reason and one reason only. You do not know God. You have never been saved. But if you are a child of God, when you stray into sin, the Holy Spirit will well on you. He will convict you. He will do what He has to to constantly say, come back. Come back to the way of life. Come back to Jesus. Come back to the way of holiness. Come back. Come back. Come back. And as long as we're a child of God, that will continually go on. God will not let us go. The work that began in us will be performed until Christ returns. Now, that work is not only if we stray. That's a good thing that if we stray, He comes to get us. But if you ever looked like really looked at what the Bible says you're supposed to do as a Christian. I mean like, be a living sacrifice. Turn the other cheek. Forgive. To share the gospel. To live a holy life. I, I, I don't know how you are. I look at those things and I think, I can't do that. I mean, turn the other cheek's not like my natural bent in life. And I can think, I, there's just no way I can do that. But I can. Because the work that God began will make that happen. God isn't going to give up on me. He will work in me and will change me until I'm able to turn the other cheek. Until I'm able to forgive. Until I'm able to offer myself fully as a living sacrifice. Until I'm able to deny myself and take up my cross and follow Jesus. He is going to work on us until we're like Jesus. So unless you can say right now in this place today, you are just like Jesus in your values, in your priorities, in your attitudes, in your actions, in your reactions, in your speech and in your morality. If you can't say you're just like Jesus in those areas, then guess what? There is work to be done. And it is going to continually be done. Until Jesus calls to take us to be with Him. And in that day, we will be perfected forever. Now all of the promises that God has given us in Ephesians 1 and really all of Scripture. They are sure to come to pass because we have been given the Holy Spirit. And He has called at the end of verse 13, the Spirit of promise. The down payment that guarantees he will come through and give us everything He's promised to give us. Think about how, how great our promises are, our inheritance is, if the Holy Spirit is simply a down payment on that. That is why the redemption that Jesus offers us is better than anything the world will offer to us. It's why we can deny ourselves and take up our crosses and follow Jesus because we know that anything we give up in this life is nothing compared to what we'll receive from Jesus in the next life. Notice how verse 14 ends. Unto the praise of His glory. That phrase is repeated in verse 6, verse 12, and here in verse 14. Why did God the Father plan our redemption? For the praise of His glory. 
Why did Jesus suffer so terribly to purchase our redemption? For the praise of His glory. Why does the Holy Spirit work to bring us to redemption? For the praise of His glory. A major part of our redemption is for the praise of God's glory. There's two aspects to this. One aspect is that we give God praise for all that He has done for us in Christ Jesus. That we live our lives continually acknowledging that if it were not for God, we would not be saved. For never taking for granted what it cost us to have this grace that has been given to us so freely. It means that that our, our voices declare the glory of God on the regular. But it also means that we live lives that declare the glory of God. If a God who speaks the world into existence plans a redemption, you would think it would have big effects on your life, wouldn't you? If the Son of God dies horribly to purchase a redemption, you would think it would have big effects on your life, wouldn't you? If the Spirit of God dwells within you when you're redeemed, you would think it would have big effects on your life, wouldn't you? So we should worship God with our lives. Ensuring that our values, our priorities, our attitudes, our actions, our words, our morals, and our reactions glorify Him. That they are consistent with who He is and what He has done for us. The redemption that has been given to us, that has been bought by the blood of Christ, and has been applied to our lives through the Spirit of God, should motivate us to live in a way that causes people to say, look at that. God must be awesome if He can make that kind of a change in a person's life. If they will live like that, their God must be real and awesome. Tell me about the hope that you have within you. Why do you live the way that you live? Why do you talk The way that you talk. Why do you value what you value? Why do you react the way that you react? As great as all of this is, it is just a taste. All that is ours as the redeemed of God. But this taste, it does begin being redeemed through faith in Jesus. So have you been redeemed? I was thinking about this in particular in relation to the Holy Spirit. And I was reminded of something interesting you find in the book of Acts. As the apostles went to new towns where they found new converts and they wanted to find or people and they wanted to find out if they were saved. Do you know that never once did they say, have you prayed to receive Jesus as your Savior? Never once did they ask them, have you been baptized? Never once did they ask them, did you go to church last Sunday? But you know what they did ask multiple times? Have you received the Holy Spirit? So let me ask you today. 
Have you received the Holy Spirit? Now before you say yes, I just want you to look at your life and ask yourself, what evidence do you see that brings you to that conclusion? Do you see the work of the Holy Spirit in your life that we're talking about today? Have you felt the call of the Spirit to come to Jesus? And if so, did you answer that call? Yes. Did you, do you see the signs of, of new birth and change in your life wrought by the Holy Spirit's power? Has the Holy Spirit witnessed to your spirit that you are a child of God? Has the Holy Spirit been working in your life to make you more and more like Jesus? And if the answer is no, you need to find out why the answer is no. And the reason the answer is no will never be because God doesn't do things like that anymore. Because this is exactly how God works in the world until Jesus comes back. Until Jesus comes back, the gospel will be shared and the Spirit will work in the hearers of the gospel and urge them to repent of their sins and believe in Jesus Christ. And when they do, the Spirit of God will change them and regenerate them and then continually wash them and sanctify them and make them more and more like Jesus. That is how God works and will always work. If the Holy Spirit is not working in your life in these ways, you must, you must wonder if you're genuinely redeemed. So I ask you again, have you been redeemed? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. If you've never been redeemed through faith in Jesus, The word of truth, the gospel of your salvation has been proclaimed. And the Holy Spirit is calling you to come to Jesus. To answer this call, you must turn to Jesus. And you must turn from your sins. Scripture says two cannot walk together unless they be agreed. Jesus does not offer to come alongside you in the way that you're walking. What Jesus does is invite you to come alongside Him in the way that He is walking. At no point will Jesus ever walk in the same direction your sin is walking. You must choose this day whom you will serve. You must also believe Jesus. Now believe isn't just a a general sort of there's a God out there somewhere. It's not even a general sort of there's a, a Jesus who is real. What you must believe is very specific. You must believe that Jesus died on your behalf. You must believe that Jesus died for your sins. You must believe that Jesus rose from the dead. And you must believe that Jesus' death and resurrection is the only hope for salvation that you have. Now this belief requires you to let go of self-righteousness. 
You cannot cling to the cross and into your own self-righteousness at the same time. You must let go of one to grab on to the other. Believing in Jesus is letting go of all the reasons you've earned heaven. All the reasons you're a good person. All the reasons you're okay. And grabbing onto the cross and saying, Jesus, I just need you. Because of you, I can be saved. And then you must call on Jesus to save you. You must ask Him to be your Savior and your Lord. If you are here this morning, if you have never received the redemption that God the Father planned, that God the Son purchased, that God the Holy Spirit is calling you to, take this opportunity right now. What I want you to do is if you need the salvation that Jesus died to purchase, that the Spirit is leading you to come to, I want you to raise a hand in the air as a way of saying, I'm letting go of my self-righteousness and I'm grabbing on to the cross. I want Jesus and I want to be saved today. Would you reach out and call on Jesus this morning? We're going to take a minute and we're going to pray. And as Jesus is dealing in your heart, you call on Him in this time.